Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, so sweatpants, sweatshirt, Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Jonji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to johnji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at johnji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. You know what? I met a guy. He goes to Antarctic every year. I think we can get our bosses to agree to let us go. It was like a it was like a dream come true. <laughs> I love that it always comes down to I think we can let our uh, convince our bosses to let us go. Right. Meet William Brangham. Yeah, my name is William Brangham. I'm a correspondent at the PBS NewsHour. William and a team of intrepid producers recently got to take the trip of a lifetime. The type of trip that I imagine you must imagine the glamorous life of a journalist must be chock full of. There's no place like this on Earth. It's blue ocean, towering cliffs of white glaciers, huge craggy mountain peaks. This team from the PBS NewsHour put together a four-part podcast series called The Last Continent, which is full of surprises and interesting facts about a place that really is one of the world's biggest mysteries. The thing that I found most striking, and again, I knew this going in, but you only you only sense it when you're there for a period of time, which is that there is really no human infrastructure on the entire continent. And this is a massive piece of land. I mean, we're talking about the U.S. and Mexico combined as a landmass, covered almost 95% with thick sheets of ice. As you're traveling around, you just realize that humans mean almost nothing here. The whole series is worth checking out. It includes the story of the discovery of the continent, and this is the only continent for which that is an accurate term, as well as the latest on what the science says about Antarctica's ice sheets. 
But also, did you know that it's currently in the midst of a tourism boom? You know, 50,000 people a year are now going there. That's a record. Each year sets a new record for the number of people. Now, you might think, ah, 50,000 people is not that many people. I disagree. (laughs) That was a mind-blowing fact for me. Is that right? But today, because who can say no, we are sharing a story they did about penguins. Enjoy. We're on Couverville Island on the Antarctic Peninsula, standing smack dab in the middle of a bustling colony of Gentoo penguins. It's like a little penguin Times Square. A dozen or so stand along the beach. Dozens more are waddling up and down the steep hill above us, struggling to stay upright on their little orange feet. At both ends of the beach, hundreds are packed together, sitting in the sun on their homemade rocky nests. This is industrial-scale penguin life. But for Ron Naveen, it's just another day at the office. Bingo! This 73-year-old, white-haired, white-bearded man is walking gingerly on the rocks. He's got an old-fashioned clicker counter in his hands. And he's doing what he's been doing for almost 40 years, counting penguins. Oh. Oh. Hi, buddy. Back in the 1980s, Ron created an advocacy group called Oceanites. Its mission is to track and monitor the three main species that live here. I've gone through all kinds of iterations in my life, being a lawyer, an expedition tour leader, and I keep winding up watching birds. I can't believe it. I have the best job on the planet. Is that right? Well, I'm a penguin counter, for God's sake. (laughs) Can't beat that, can you? No, I don't think you can. From the PBS NewsHour, this is The Last Continent, a four-part journey to Antarctica. I'm William Brangham. Over the decades that you've been coming here counting all these birds, do you have any sense of of a cumulative number, how many penguins you've actually counted? Uh, That's an unbelievably difficult question. It's like asking me how many times I've crossed the Great Passage. I don't know. Undoubtedly, hundreds of millions. Ron mostly works here on the peninsula, which is the 800-mile-long stretch of land off the continent's northwest corner. He studies gentoos, which are the size of upright footballs, white on the belly, black on the back, orange on the beak. The other penguins are adelies and chinstraps, both a little smaller than the gentoos. Adelies are known for the distinctive white ring around their eyes. Chinstraps get their name for the little black line running across their faces. It's not uncommon for us to just sit down. I do this all the time. I mean, these are the most glorious creatures on the planet. They're teaching me a lot. But they're really funny. They're like little human beings. They're waddling around all the time. They look kind of silly and all that stuff. But they're just cute as hell, and I love spending time watching their behaviors. Ron's right. When they're tottering around on land, balancing with their two wings, the flightless penguins seem kind of out of place. So they dip their head in, kind of get used to the water temperature or whatever, and then under the arms, round the flippers, and boom. 
The minute the birds enter the water, they transform instantly into the most incredibly fast, aerodynamic, acrobatic swimmers. Now look at them go underwater. Zoom, zoom, zoom. You look. I know, it's incredible. Literally flying underwater. Gentoos can reach 22 miles per hour underwater. Michael Phelps, he tops out at six. Ron's watched these birds swim like this a million times before. But standing with him on this beach, you'd think this was his first time. I could watch this all day. Me too. Here's my colleague on this trip, Emily Carpo, describing Ron. When you see him, he seems so awkward and kind of like a little bit silly. And then you hear him start talking about penguins and the things he's passionate about. And it's just like his exceptional intelligence comes through. And it kind of reminds me, it's like when penguins are on land, they look like they do not belong there and they are not prepared to be dealing with hard land. And then the minute they get into water, you're like, oh, that's what they're meant for. (laughs) This guy's going crazy over here. Back and forth and back and forth. Whoa! I used to think that if I was granted a superpower that flying might be what it is, but I'm starting to think now that maybe to be able to swim like a Gentoo might be top of my list. I'm right there with you, man. They are really, really incredible. At each penguin colony they visit, Ron and his colleagues are trying to make a literal head count of the birds. How many adults? How many chicks? How many eggs? They're building a year-by-year census of the penguins. Given that the birds can move around, to be as accurate as possible, Ron and his team divide areas into rough grids and count the areas as quickly as possible. So what I'm going to do is head up to the high ridge and work down to the snow where the snow comes in. You'll be going up the side here and we'll meet right at the top. Yeah, by the time that you get that... That's Grant Humphreys. He's a seabird biologist who's working with Ron on this trip. He's a big, burly, bearded guy from Newfoundland. Antarctic penguins are just unbelievable animals. You know, they've been around for 60 million years, um, basically to a degree in the same form that you're seeing them now. I mean, you see them here sitting on the rocks. They look like rugby balls. (laughs) <laughs> you know, they just they just don't look like they're made for anything. And here we are on top of this this hill here. They've come up from the water and hiked up through deep snow, up over the rocks and all that to get up here. And it's not like they have hands. I mean, they're clawing and, and fighting their way up. It is spectacular how hardy these animals are. We'll have snowshoes on, our hiking poles and all that, and we'll stream on up to the top of the mountain. We get up there and these guys are beating us. They're just... <laughs> You know, unfreaking believable. But yeah, I mean, you, you they are that, no doubt. But just like they don't tell you how rough the seas will be on your way to Antarctica, nobody really tells you how bad these penguin colonies smell. The term of art for penguin poop is guano, but that does not do it justice. It's everywhere caked on the rocks, all over our boots, permeating our clothes. It smells awful. Here's Emily again and our other colleague, Mike Fritz. And what's funny is I don't think that I had any idea of just how much there would be and then how they would kind of wear it themselves (laughs) with such dignity. I mean, they would just kind of have it on their chest and they didn't really care. If anyone has seen those pictures of the penguins and you see their sort of red or or, or white splotches all over their chest, it's not mud. (laughs) It's it's not mud. 
It can be a difficult life here for the penguins. While it's summertime now and a balmy 20 degrees Fahrenheit, winters are five below zero with fierce winds. And there's predators everywhere. Big gray seabirds called skuas circle overhead constantly, always ready to dive down and grab a chick or a warm egg. In the sea, where the penguins spend most of their lives, there's killer whales and leopard seals. In fact, Grant spotted one when we were on Coverville Island. So there's a leopard seal right now cruising towards us, somewhere underwater. His head came up a few minutes ago, um, possibly hunting, which would be very, very cool. Hunting our little Gentoo friends? Hunting our little Gentoo friends and then ripping him to shreds. The goal is to actually skin the bird because they don't want to eat the feathers and skin. It's not so, not so delectable as the innards. Um, and they'll thrash them and thrash them until basically all you're left is a muscular figure of a penguin floating in the water and then they'll start ripping into it. It's very, very violent and very bloody and it's so primal. It's been like this for the penguins for millennia, and they've survived and thrived. But now, human-induced climate change is also transforming the Antarctic Peninsula, and Ron and other researchers believe it's taking a toll on the penguins. For decades, this region has been one of the fastest warming spots in the world. Right here in the Antarctic Peninsula, there's been a warming trend over the last six decades or more. It's actually the most amount of warming on the planet other than in the high Arctic. Right here. Right here. And it's dramatic. It's three degrees centigrade, five degrees Fahrenheit on a year-round basis. And At the, the same winter, time, certain penguin colonies have also been hit hard. I also, because I've been coming here for so long, I've seen these changes. I've seen the penguin populations at certain colonies thin out pretty dramatically. One colony that we studied at Deception Island has gone from an estimated 90,000 breeding pairs to 50 or fewer, 50,000 or fewer. 90,000 down to 50? Yes. That's a huge problem. Right. Just for reference, that's like Tallahassee, Florida, losing almost half its population. So you've got to suspect strongly that climate is implicated. Precisely how that's sorting out uh, is going to be a very complicated question. But we will sort it out after a short break. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Each story from our guests and listeners is totally unique and utterly personal. We love hearing about your first impressions when visiting someplace new. My first trip to the Patagonia region was on the Argentine side. I couldn't believe the expansive territory. It's like being in Tibet. The emptiness and the harshness really, I found transformative. Or a story told when safely back on dry land. You know, things happened every single day. I ran out of gas on a jet ski in the middle of the ocean. And I was like, what if a sea creature comes to eat me? (laughs) 
But then I'm delusional. I was like, I'll make friends with it and it won't eat me. And maybe I'll ride that back to shore. That's how it works. Yeah. Join me, Lale Arakoplu, every week for more adventures on women who travel, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Before the break, we heard that certain penguin populations are dropping precipitously. But why? Exactly what is the mechanism? And what does that tell us about which species will do well and which won't in a changing climate? William Brangham of the PBS NewsHour picks up that story. Now, there's no direct link that warmer temperatures are what are causing these declines, but researchers point to several pieces of circumstantial evidence. The penguin's main food source is a small, shrimp-like creature called krill. They're about the size of your pinky finger, and everything down here eats them. Krill is also commercially harvested for fish food and human supplements, but climate change can harm them too, and their numbers are down. Claire Christian runs the Antarctic and Southern Ocean Coalition, an advocacy group. There are some species in the Antarctic, like whales, that can travel thousands of miles. When penguins are, you know, raising their chicks, they can only go so far every day before they have to go back and feed the chick. So if there isn't krill within the area that they can travel to, they're at risk of of losing those chicks for the year. Ron says his data indicate the Adelis and the chin straps have taken these changes very hard. But the Gentoos, on the other hand, seem to be thriving. Ron says Gentoos can swim a little further and a little deeper, which gives them more range. But they've also diversified their diet, and they're starting to eat more fish. All the penguins here could eat more fish, but only the Gentoos seem to be doing it. The Gentoos have really made the big switch. The Adelis and Chinstraps just haven't apparently picked up on the fact they need to start eating more of it. I keep thinking that it'd be great to converse with these guys and say, eat more fish, eat more fish, but I don't speak a deli or chin strap. The warming environment has also triggered a seemingly contradictory effect on the Antarctic Peninsula. It's triggering more snowfall, which can cover the birds' nests and disrupt their breeding. But again, the Gentoos seem to be adapting by laying their eggs a second time. I think it highlights that there are going to be climate change winners And there's going to be some climate change losers. Heather Lynch is an evolutionary biologist from Stony Brook University in New York, and she's one of Ron's regular research partners. We met her in Argentina just as she'd finished her latest trip to Antarctica. What's surprising is how similar these three species of penguins are. They breed in the same places. They largely eat the same things. They're breeding at the same time. They lay two eggs. So what's surprising to me is that the very small, subtle differences that they do have are actually the difference between being a climate change winner and a climate change loser. So one of the real take-home messages here, I think, from the Gentoo penguins' perspective is that flexibility and plasticity is going to be really key to adapting and even thriving in a climate change environment. And I think there's a real lesson for us as people, as communities, as cities. We're all going to have to figure out what's going to work in the future. And it may look very different than what's worked in the past. Penguins are us, you might say. Uh, They breathe the same air. They have to have food, a good home, a good environment. If one of those falls out of sync, it's troubling. So my question, you might say, in a very general euphemistic way, are we going to be gentoos in the future? 
Or are we going to have a sinking population like some of the chinstrap and Adelie populations? I'm really concerned. Meaning, are we going to figure out either how to stop this warming or how to adapt to it? I don't know if we're going to be able to stop it. What I've been focusing a lot uh, upon is whether we're going to be able to adapt. On our last day in Antarctica with Ron and Grant, we visited a chinstrap penguin colony. It's cold and windy, and the rain has mixed the dirt and guano together into a sticky, stinky soup. But the two men are in their usual playful mood, happy to show off their best chinstrap impressions. I guess we're not going to get it on this season, Grant. No, I don't think so. I think we're failed breeders. Failed breeders. Failed breeders. Chinstraps are Ron's favorite. They're the first penguins he ever saw here, but he also loves them because they're tenacious. Chinstrap penguins run right up to you. They want to see your passport, where you're from, who are you. <laughs> then they back off. Do you think these guys know that they're your favorite? Um, I would have to be honest and say no. Uh, I don't speak chinstrap, nor do they speak English. But I must say, in my quiet moments, I do go into my and I sometimes get a response. So I'd like to think that some of my guys know who I am. There's some cross-species communication going on. Yeah, I guess so, but uh, I'm, I'm dreaming. At 73, after doing this for nearly half of his life, Ron Devine says he's not ready for this work to be over. I get very wistful and uh, teary-eyed, to be honest. It's my last day in the Antarctic for this season. I do want to come back. I'm intending to come back. I've been doing this forever. I want, I'm not ready to hang up the penguin clicker. Uh, but I'll have a few moments later this afternoon with my favorite guys sitting down there communing with them. Uh, I'll go back to the ship and have a big fat smile on my face. I'm, I'm the luckiest guy on the planet. The Last Continent was produced by Vika Aronson, Mike Fritz, Emily Carpo, and William Brangham, and edited by Erica R. Hendry. Production assistance by Chris Ford, and fact-checking by C. Con Akpan, Maya Lene Burra, Amber Partita, and Zoe Rorick. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Travis Dobb, Vanessa Dennis, Brendan Butler, Stefan Rode, James Williams, Julia Griffin, Dan Cooney, Dima Zane, Malaya Posey, Adam Sura, and Laura Strum. Thanks also to Dan Devaney and Bruce Kane at WETA-FM. Sarah Just is the executive producer. You can find the whole series as well as broadcast versions. Yes, in fact, these folks are on the Honest to Goodness TV at pbs.org slash newshour slash The Last Continent. We'll be back with a fresh episode of Outside In in two weeks. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.